We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chicken intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Leslie Marshall, and this is the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Uh, We will uh, definitely throughout the week be giving you more updates after the Monday night massacre under the regime now of President Donald Trump. Um, But we need to talk about what he's going to be doing tonight. As Donald Trump has uh, signaled... He is having yet another press conference at 8 p.m. Eastern time, allegedly, and he will announce his pick for the ninth position on the Supreme Court. Here to join us, someone who knows a lot about this. He's been on before. I love him, love his tweets. I've come to uh, feel like we've known each other for years, and we have, but we've never met. Ian Milheiser, Senior Constitutional Policy Analyst at the Center for American Progress, also editor of Think Progress Justice. Uh, both a lot of great stuff uh, tweeting. By the way, he has a great book you got to check out. He is author of the book Injustices, the Supreme Court's Nearly Unbroken History of Comforting the Comfortable and Afflicting the Afflicted. Ian, more than a pleasure to have you back on the show. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Okay. So um, there are a lot of people out there that are questioning, and, and I read this uh, today. Meet the top contenders for Trump's Supreme Court pick. Will conservative bona fides or central casting looks win out? Uh, he did say yesterday, the president, that he's going to announce the Supreme Court decision as nominee during primetime tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, allegedly. He reportedly has narrowed his choices down to three candidates. Originally, that list had 21. Uh, those were identified during his campaign. And, of course, there's always the possibility of a big surprise. We'll talk about that with you as well, Ian. Uh, and assuming he doesn't go completely off script, these are the three people he's considering. The first of which is William Pryor Jr. Uh, tell tell us uh, a bit about William Pryor Jr. and uh, maybe some concerns you might have about this nominee. Well, sure. I mean, Pryor certainly meets the most important criteria for Donald Trump, which that is he is a very rugged-looking, very handsome white man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, in terms of what he thinks about the law, he called Roe v. Wade an abomination. He wrote a brief saying that states should be allowed to criminalize gay sex. Um, he upheld voter suppression laws as a judge. 
He um, was on the wrong side of the Hobby Lobby line of cases, this question of whether women's bosses get to decide the amount of access to birth control that they have. And he was on the wrong side. You remember Lily Ledbetter, the woman yes. who, yeah, yes. the, the woman who didn't get equal work for equal pay. He was on the wrong side of that case as well. Wow. Yeah, Lily Ledbetter's case came up through his court, and he voted, "Oh, well, you you didn't get paid the same amount as your male colleagues. We're not going to do anything for you." Now, some I've said I heard yesterday uh, on the radio when I was driving uh, home uh, after being on Lou Dobbs at Fox. Uh, I, I heard something that, like, he is the least – they, they don't think that he would be the pick simply because of uh, the position on Roe v. Wade and the LGBT community of this individual uh, that Democrats would most certainly uh, filibuster. Yeah, I mean, Pryor's um, stock has apparently fallen, at least if you believe what the news reports are saying. Most uh, reports are focusing on two other names, Neil Gorsuch, who is kind of a, if the Koch brothers could grow a potential nominee in a vat, Neil Gorsuch is who they would come up with. And then uh, this guy named Thomas Hardiman, who is a little more obscure, but when you dig down into his record, has some, frankly, very disturbing criminal justice ruling. Okay, so uh, out of William Pryor Jr., Thomas Hardiman, and Neil Gorsuch, um, would you say that William Pryor Jr. is the most conservative, perhaps the most dangerous to uh, put on that court as number nine? I mean, I don't know that. I mean, I think that Pryor has the thickest record. You know, one thing that's one thing about being a judge is that you're sort of a you're sort of a victim of the sorting hat. You, you know, you, you hear randomly assigned cases. At some judges, you know, get a bunch of abortion cases. They get a bunch of voting rights cases. They get a bunch of really political cases, and then it's hard for them if if they're ever nominated for a higher position. Others don't. And so when you look at Pryor's record, like he's had to he's had to show his cards a lot. Um, but where Gorsuch has shown his cards, he's shown extremely conservative cards, possibly more conservative than Pryor on many on many things. And where Hardiman showed his cards, he's also revealed himself to be very, very conservative, you know, to the point of extreme cruelty, I think, in one particular case. Um, and and you talk so we don't get confused. The one that you're talking about with cruelty was Pryor, Hardiman, or Gorsuch. That that was Hardiman. So so Hardiman. So, so in other words, all three of these have made all three of these judges have mm-hmm. made decisions, um, perhaps more in line with their more political conservative personal feelings, and use that to interpret the letter of the law and the Constitution in a sense to to fit their their own beliefs. Yeah, I mean, I think that they they certainly are interested in moving the law very, very far to the right. I, I mean, Gorsuch was also on the wrong side of the Hobby Lobby of the Hobby Lobby issue. He really bent over backwards, um, you know, manipulated the rules of his court in a way that they're not supposed to be used to try to, um, to to try to cut off funding to Planned Parenthood. He wanted to dismantle a very important, very long-standing Supreme Court doctrine that. Uh, allowed President Obama to put, to put progressive regulations in place. Uh, Thomas Hardiman, you know, the, the case that just stands out to me, because it's, it's just so shocking, there was a case where a man who I think is almost certainly innocent, when you look at the facts of the case, it's hard to believe that this man committed the crime he was convicted of. He voted to allow this man to be executed 
despite the fact that the evidence very clearly showed that he, that he should never been convict, convicted in the first place. So you're dealing with, you know, folks who are very conservative, folks who haven't shown a great deal of empathy for the um, for the for the people who come before them, and I think folks who are going to move the law very far to the right if they become justices. Uh, when, when when you talk about uh, the the court, so that people understand, there's a lot of information out there. Not everybody understands how the confirmation process goes. So today, Trump announces perhaps one of these three individuals. And speaking of, do you think it'll be one of these three? Because he isn't to surprises. But then again, a lot of times when we hear rumors of individuals, those people's names did surface for his cabinet positions up until now. For many of them, um, do do you think it will be definitely one of these three names that we hear uttered off the lips of the president? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Donald Trump is, like, it could be Ivanka, for all we know. Like, oh you know. What? Yeah, you, 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 can't really, you can't really trust what this, what, what this president is doing. You can't really trust that the normal process will play out. I mean, one thing that's really very bizarre is that the White House maintains that the president has chosen his nominee, but he apparently summoned both Gorsuch and Hardiman to Washington um, so that, you know, to throw, to throw a cloud of smoke up so that no one knows which one is, is, is the nominee. Um, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't like these two men. I don't think that they belong on the Supreme Court, but that just strikes me as a very profound profoundly cruel thing to do at a human level. I mean, you don't, this is something that I'm sure they very much want to have, and you don't drag one of them out to Washington to be like, oh, just kidding. Uh, when we look at the process, okay, so that people understand, Donald Trump nominates, mm-hmm. and um, then what do we have currently and what could change? And I say that because I know the answer to this, but I want you to explain it a lot more eloquently. You know, pe- people say, well, this is different. This is different than, you know, the other nominees. Um, yeah. You know, the Democrats, you know, have a chance here. So, but but do they, because Republicans could also make a decision having the number of votes that they need in the Senate to actually change the current um, uh, way the voting exists right. in process to, to, you know, favor and put through uh, this nominee. So uh, yeah. br- walk us through the process and, you know, every scenario here. Right. So technically it takes 60 votes to confirm a nominee. Um, and the reason why is because at this moment there's still a filibuster rule in place that requires those 60 votes. But it takes 51 votes to get rid of the filibuster. So I, I think the filibuster is a bit of a paper tiger here. You, you, you know, like whether the Republicans filibuster, whether they don't, it's, gonna, it's not going to mean anything. That said, there has to be you know, the fullest opposition. And the reason why there has to be the fullest opposition is, is because, first of all, you don't want to define that one of these people who have very radical views and that are, um, you know, that are sent to a, to a stolen seat that was stolen from President Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, that there's something legitimate about them being on the Supreme Court. And second of all, like, I think what a lot of Democratic senators need to understand is that you know, they are behind where their voters are. I mean, you literally had millions of people in the streets not so long ago saying that, you know, we we need to resist this president with everything we've got. You know, Senator Whitehouse, there's this crazy video where uh, Senator Whitehouse, who's a liberal senator, um, was mobbed at at an event because people – because he wasn't voting no on enough of of Trump's nominees. So, 
just as a matter of self-preservation, if I'm a Democratic senator and I want to remain a senator, I, I can't understand why anyone would give less than maximal opposition to this nominee. Um, when we also um, look at the filibuster, like you said, the Republicans have the number of votes to to prevent a filibuster. Is, does it then become largely symbolic or, or does it uh, by time? And in saying that, is it possible and not in a world where there's a red man in a suit in an right. igloo, but is it possible um, that the lawsuits – against uh, Donald Trump and specifically the executive order um, on this, what we are all calling a Muslim ban, or most of us are calling, um, could reach the court before a ninth person is confirmed so that the eight would be able to make a decision. And even if it resulted in a tie, the lower court ruling would stand, which is that this, or parts of this, much of it is unconstitutional. Yeah, I think it's even likely that that this order of some challenge is going to reach the Supreme Court before another justice is confirmed, because a lot of these things are coming up through emergency orders. Um, The emergency orders are are themselves going to be appealed on an expedited basis. And like, in the fastest possible terms, you know, it could potentially be weeks or even days before before the Supreme Court, although the the administration does seem to be backing off the sort of outrageous overreach that would lead to it happening in days. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that there is a high likelihood it's going to reach the Supreme Court. I also think that, you know, there is what you're seeing now with Republicans in the Senate is that they're facing a, they're facing a crisis between partisanship and patriotism where Trump is doing a lot of things that in some cases are openly defiant of the rule of law. You've heard a lot of Republican senators who have come out and said that you know, they're uncomfortable with what he's doing, but then they're unwilling to put up any kind of resistance. And ultimately what I think that not just Democrats in the Senate, but like people who oppose Trump generally need to do is create as much space as they can to you know, make it possible for those Republicans to say no to Trump, to show them that they have to say no to Trump, to make it very politically difficult for them to not say no to Trump. And if that happens, you could potentially have an eight-justice court for a long period of time, because ultimately the question needs to be, do you trust this man who is doing so much to undermine the rule of law to name a justice to the Supreme Court? Uh, we love having you on, Ian. Uh, always do, seriously. And uh, thank you. Thank you for all that you do, your great book, your, your knowledge. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that a lower court ruling will stand and Mr. Trump will move on and say, I promised you a Muslim ban, I gave you one. Thank you uh, very much. Author of Injustices, the Supreme Court's nearly unbroken history of comforting the comfortable and afflicting the afflicted. Our guest, Ian Milheiser, can be followed on Twitter at I-M-I-L-L-H-I-S-E-R. Also follow Think Progress at Think Progress. And the website is thinkprogress.org. Also check out americanprogress.org for the Center for American Progress, where Ian is a senior constitutional policy analyst. Back after this. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. 